got a woo on a Wednesday night. Yeah. Evening, everybody. Glad you made it out on a sloppy, wet night. It's crazy out there. I about wrecked my car earlier going down Drake Road. It was just every, every uh, hundred yards or so, it was just flooded, you know. And then it's all going to freeze tomorrow, so that'll be fun. All right, so hey, we are, we're going to be in Isaiah 18 tonight. And uh, Isaiah, you know, he's in the middle of a series of uh, woes or burdens, right? These heavy messages that God has given him uh, to preach to the neighboring nations around Israel at the time. And so last week we talked about how um, Assyria was, uh, you know, Assyria destroying the, the northern kingdom of Israel and, and Syria. And during that time, uh, all the nations in the region were, were sending delegates to one another, trying to make treaties or alliances, right? Because Assyria was just steamrolling over everyone. And so they knew no one nation was going to be able to stand against it. So they, you know, they start teaming up, basically. Uh, enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. Uh, and so, you know, we, we're going to see Isaiah talking about that more and more as this book goes on, these, these treaties or alliances that they're making. Because God warns us, and we talked about this a little bit last week, God really warns us to be careful who you align yourself with. You know, who you, uh, who you are tied closely to, who you allow to influence you. Uh, and, and even, you know, we talked about relationships and business and that kind of thing, but also even doctrine counts here, right? Who you align yourself with as far as uh, what they teach and what they believe can, can have an influence on you. And especially, you know, as we're studying Isaiah, as we study prophecy, I'm a little loud if you want to dial it back just a hair. When we, when we study prophecy especially, um, prophecy attracts... Uh, wild theories, right, and wild thinking, and so sometimes you'll run into someone who they've got it all figured out. Avoid that guy, right? Anybody that has all the, you know, has the prophecy nailed down, he, he's wrong, you know. Um, anyway, so chapter eighteen is is uh, is regarded by many as one of the most difficult chapters in Scripture. Uh, to interpret. And how you inter interpret it can affect what school of thought you align yourself with, you know, what sort of uh, doctrine you hold. Uh, and so we're going to look at a couple different views of this chapter because how we view it kind of will affect how we uh, interpret the rest of the book going forward. All right. All of that said, let's pray and we'll ask God to help us understand it. Jesus, we thank you for giving us the opportunity again to study your word, that we get to be together tonight, uh, safe and warm, and, and also that we can uh, broadcast your word around the world. Uh, it's an amazing time. Uh, but Lord, we just, even though we have uh, all these comforts and technology, we still um, need you more than ever, and especially need your spirit to understand uh, what it is uh, you would have us do, what your will is, uh, what the future holds, and 
Uh, we just pray that you would help us to understand it better and understand you better through it. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, a, guy, a guy named Charles Taylor uh, wrote a book a while back. It was called uh, World War III and the Destiny of America. Uh, and I mentioned this last week that some people ask, you know, whether America is in the Bible. And, and he's one of the people that he theorizes that this chapter is about America. We'll look into that. So we'll, we'll, we'll take a look real quick. Uh, Isaiah 18, verse 1. Uh, it says, Alas, O land of whirring wings, which lies beyond the rivers of Cush. Now, Cush is modern-day Ethiopia, and it also in, um, encapsulated a little bit of like southern Egypt and uh, part of the Sudan. But mainly it's Ethiopia is what, you know, and, and depending on your translation, your Bible may just say Ethiopia. Okay. But it says, uh, oh, land of whirring wings. And so this Charles Taylor guy, uh, in the King James, it says shadowing wings. And he's like, he says, you know, like eagle's wings. It's a little bit of a stretch, but okay. Uh, verse 2, which sends envoys by the sea, even in papyrus vessels. Or uh, your translation may say reed uh, vessels. So boats... Um, at that time were made, uh, you know, there were uh, some pretty impressive seaworthy cra uh, craft built out of reeds. Uh, and so they would look kind of like wicker, you know, but they, there was tar and pitch and stuff involved. And, and, you know, you could go out on the ocean in these things. Uh, so that's what he's talking about. He's not saying made out of paper, you know, it's just made out of uh, uh, reeds. So, you know, when they, in the Old Testament, when they talk about uh, baby Moses being put in a basket and floated down the river, uh, it's funny, the, you know, the Sunday school coloring books, he's like in a picnic basket or whatever. But no, he was, he was in something that, you know, did float, right? So anyway, so, uh, but, so he's talking about what would have been an impressive ship at the time, right? Even in uh, papyrus vessels on the surface of the waters, Go, swift messengers, to a nation tall and smooth, to a people feared far and wide, a powerful and oppressive nation whose land the rivers divide. So, the theory goes, America is across the sea. America sends envoys to the Middle East, right, to uh, get involved in geopolitical machinations. Uh, we're definitely feared far and wide, right? I don't know that we're, you could call us a nation tall and smooth. We're more uh, short and round nowadays. Uh, but our, our land is separated by a great river, right, by the Mississippi. Verse 3 says, All you inhabitants of the world and dwellers on earth, as soon as a standard is raised, or a flag is raised on the mountains, uh, you will see it. And then as soon as the trumpet is blown, you will hear it. And so trumpet blasts, you know, can indicate military action. Uh, but also, this is how, uh, you know, the priests would call people together for any sort of meeting, right? Uh, and he goes on in verse 4, it mentions something about dazzling heat. So he, 
he says, obviously, that's a nuclear blast. And then there's a mention of bodies, so that's, you know, the theory goes that America is going to get involved in the Middle East, and because of that, uh, we're, it's going to result in us being nuked, that someone is going to drop an atomic bomb on us, and that's why we're not a big factor in the end times. All that is interesting. Uh, I don't think it holds up to good hermeneutics, to even common sense or honest scrutiny. Uh, but and it, the reason I bring it up is it's also dangerous, right? This sort of teaching is dangerous, and here's why. If you believe America is just doomed to be nuked, that that is our fate, uh, you know, due to our involvement in the Middle East, it's, but you also believe that that sets the wheels in motion for Jesus to come back, right? You might just push for more involvement in the Middle East. You might just push for, you know, to speed things along, thinking you're, you're helping bring back Jesus. And there are people working in our government that actually believe this stuff. Uh, you might you might even not care about maintaining or even trying to improve this country because it's all going to go up in flames anyway. So why bother spending any money on maintenance or improvements? Let's just slam the accelerator down in the Middle East. It's dangerous. I think the best the best case that you can make for America. Uh, in the Bible is, is probably in Ezekiel 38, verse 13. There's a, a mention of uh, Tarshish and all its villages or young cubs. And basically, that's a name for like, it's an old name for Britannia, so Great Britain. And so its villages would be its colonies. So we would be included in that. But if you read that chapter, you find out they're not a factor, right? So even if we are mentioned, we're not a factor in the, in the end times. Uh, in part because even as, as corrupt as our nation is, even as, uh, as rough as it seems like things are going, we still have the high, one of the highest percentages of Christians of any nation on the planet. So if you believe in a, something like the rapture, uh, our country would be more affected by that than anyone. We would be effectively paralyzed. We'll be conservative and say that, you know, a third of the nation are Christians. If a third of our population disappeared, it would be chaos, right? Washington would be fine. I don't think they would be affected much. But. So that's my theory on why America is not really... A, a big factor in the end times is I think we're, you know, most affected by, uh, by the rapture. But anyway, let's go back and see if we can do a better job interpreting chapter 18. Um, give you a different viewpoint here. So we'll go back to 18.1. It says, Alas, O land of whirring wings. The message translates this as land of flies and mosquitoes. That's what whirring wings are. It's a place of, you know, insects and pests. 
And Ethiopia today is, is just that. It's a land of famine and disease spread by uh, flies and mosquitoes. Uh, verse 2, which sends envoys by the sea, even in papyrus vessels on the surface of the waters, go swift messengers to a nation tall and smooth. Um, you know, you, uh, some people will, will call you racist for interpreting this this way, but that's a good description of the average Ethiopian, right? Is they, they have an average height is higher than most people, uh, and, you know, they're thin, lanky people. Um, to a nation tall and smooth, to a people feared far and wide, a powerful and oppressive nation whose land the rivers divide. So Ethiopia is divided by the Nile, and the Estavarus is another river over there. But here's what's going on. Around this time, around the time that Isaiah writes all this stuff, remember I mentioned earlier that people were sending messengers back and forth and trying to make alliances. Uh, around 714 B.C., this guy, uh, Taraka, he becomes king of Ethiopia and captures the throne of Egypt. So for a time, he is the king of Egypt and Ethiopia. So suddenly he's a you know, pretty formidable force, but he's still nothing compared to Assyria. And so apparently he sent some delegates to, uh, to Jerusalem to try to make an alliance with them against Assyria. God is not a fan of this arrangement that they're trying to make. Uh, later in Isaiah 36, verse 6, he says, Behold, you rely on the staff of this crushed reed, even on Egypt, on which, if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who rely on him. He's like, be careful who you align yourself with. Egypt, really? Israel, you're going to make a deal with Egypt of all, of all places? It's going to come back to bite you, right? If you lean on it, it's going to pierce you, he says. And, you know, Satan wants you to think that God can't be trusted. He wants you to think you can't trust him, so you need to trust in someone else or in something else. Back in Genesis, you know, when we see the serpent in the garden, and he approaches Eve, and, uh, you know, she, he asks why they, she hasn't eaten of the fruit, and she says why, and he says, oh, no, God doesn't want you to be like him, knowing good and evil. That's why he said not to eat of it. And the day you eat of it, you will be like him, like God's holding out on you, right? So you can't trust God, trust the talking reptile that makes more sense he wants you to believe god doesn't care or that he's abandoned you uh, i think it's psalm 50 says you know call on me in in the day of trouble and i will deliver you psalm 145 verse 18 says the lord is near to all who call upon him to all who call upon him in truth all right he wants to be in the middle of your mess with you some people will derogatively uh, say that faith in God is a crutch. You ever heard that? Ever heard people say that? You know, it's a crutch for the weak. I'm okay with him being my crutch. Because the reality is, we all lean on 
something or someone when times are hard. And if you lean on drugs and alcohol, it's going to pierce you, right? Just like he talks about with Egypt. If you lean on a person, they may, they may be strong for you for a while, but it's not their job and they're not up to the task of being your rock in everything, right? We, have, we, we need to lean on someone or on something. And God actually says, when you're in trouble, lean on me. So I'm okay with that. Anyway, we'll go back to Isaiah 18, verse 3, right? Uh, we're still trying to see if we can interpret this thing. Uh, All you inhabitants of the world and dwellers on earth, as soon as a standard is raised on the mountains, you will see it. And as soon as the trumpet is blown, you will hear it. Let me read that again, a little different inflection. All you inhabitants of the world and dwellers on earth, as, as soon as a standard is raised on the mountains, you will see it. And as soon as the trumpet is blown, you will hear it. Right? That's what God, God's saying. You're so worried about what might happen and when, and if you're going to miss the signs and all that. When this stuff goes down, you will know. Right? Because we get that question all the time. Like, is this... Are these the end times? No, but we're closer than we were yesterday. You know, is this person the Antichrist? No, but they're not a great person. You know, they may be an Antichrist, just not be. God says basically, when all this stuff goes down, don't worry. You won't miss the signs. You'll know. Verse 4. For thus the Lord has told me, I will look for my dwelling place quietly. Like dazzling heat in the sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. He says, when all this goes down, when, when it all starts to, to blow up, I'm going to be sitting on my throne, calmly watching. Right? When the Assyrian army co- begins to invade Israel, I'll be calmly watching. Like a, you know, a warm spring morning or a, you know like just watching the the dew evaporate off the grass i'm just going to be i'm i'm not going to be shocked and freaking out basically is what god says when everything is in chaos god is serene right he's on his throne when hard times come god doesn't freak out uh he doesn't he doesn't stress out or worry and as a matter of fact, he, does, he doesn't tell us to stress out or worry or lose sleep or develop an ulcer or whatever. He, he actually says, hey, be still and know that I'm God. He says in Philippians 4, verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. Speak your heart to him. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So hard times are coming to Israel, and hard times are coming to our world. uh, But God is on the throne in the midst of those hard times. We'll go back to Isaiah 18, verse 5. It says, uh, For before... 
the harvest, as soon as the bud blossoms and the flower becomes a ripening grape, that he will cut off the sprigs with pruning knives and remove and cut away the uh, spreading branches. Uh, They will be left together for mountain birds of prey and for the beasts of the earth, and the birds of prey will spend the summer feeding on them, and all the beasts of the earth will spend harvest time on them. So God reassures them. Look, he says, look, I'm, I'm not just going to deal with Assyria's current plans against Judah. I'm going to cut off the entire branch. Right? I'm not just going to uh, put a band-aid on this. Don't worry, I'm going to deal with it in a big way. And so he's referring to uh, something that we'll, we'll study in more detail another time. But during Hezekiah's reign, uh, Assyria's you know, they take a pretty serious beating. Uh, They take a pretty serious defeat. And then eventually they're conquered and completely absorbed by um, the Babylonians, right? So he says, you know, this this seems scary right now, but this threat that you're so worried about, I'm going to deal with it in in a big way. Uh, Verse 7, though, it says, at that time... Remember, that's one of those expressions that we see popping up all throughout Isaiah, right? In that day or in that time. He says, at that time, a gift of homage will be brought to the Lord of hosts from a people tall and smooth, even from a people feared far and wide, a powerful and oppressive nation whose land the rivers divide, right? The same way he described uh, Ethiopia before. Uh, To the place of the name of the Lord of hosts, even Mount Zion. So, could uh, verses 5 and 6 be referring to something in the future? Absolutely. Uh, It resembles some of the things Ezekiel describes about a future battle and this valley being full of bodies and stuff. Um, But verse 7, it says this this great nation is going to bring gifts to Jerusalem, to the Lord. They're going to come and pay their respects. They're going to come and worship the Lord. So there's a a few possible fulfillments here. One, I think, is sort of a partial fulfillment, is in Acts chapter 8. And what's going on in in this chapter is, is Philip, he's one of the first deacons of the early church. And he's also a bit of an evangelist. And he's been going around preaching the gospel in these outlying cities in Samaria. And people are responding. People are becoming Christians. And uh, it's going great. And he's on his way back to Jerusalem when, uh, verse 26, it says, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And that's all the angel tells him. Get up and go stand on this dirt road in the middle of the desert. This, see, that's the, for one, it's amazing that, you know, that Philip responds and, and, and does what he's told, but there's a lot to be learned just from that one thing. God only tells us, generally, one step at a time, right? When you want to know what, God, what's your will for me? He doesn't go, well, I want you to go to this school and get this degree and then go to this job and you're going to marry this girl. And but No. It's the next step, 
is his will for you, right? One thing at a time. Uh, Verse 27, it says, So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to what? To worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Isn't that weird? Then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. So he's reading from Isaiah 53, this beautiful chapter all about the suffering Savior, you know, the the sacrifice that Jesus ultimately made for us. Verse 34, it says, The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? He's like, I need help interpreting this. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. There's so much in that. He, he believes, I believe Jesus is who he says he is. And he says, look, there's a mud puddle, right? Like right there's some water. Is there anything preventing me from being baptized? And Philip's like, no, let's do it. See, some people put off baptism for way too long, right? Because they think, well, I, I, I got to wait until, you know, I've got all my ducks in a row and I don't have this habit anymore and this sin or whatever. That's not, that doesn't appear to be what happened here. He says, I believe in Jesus. Baptize me. And he did. So he gave his, his worship and his heart, and he went on his way back to Africa, where he shared the gospel with other people. And Ethiopia ended up having uh, one of the largest early populations of Christians in the ancient world. By about the third century, Christianity was the main religion in Ethiopia. Um, but here's the question. Why was Ethiopian royalty sending offerings to the God of Israel in the first place? So we've got to go back even earlier. There's this, uh, during Solomon's reign, King Solomon, David's son, right? He was so wise and and had such wealth and he was was just a sight to uh, to behold. And, And so the Queen of Sheba which is the queen of Ethiopia, right, and, and more territory, 
Queen of Sheba had heard about him, and, and, and she wanted to go see if all the stories were true. And so she went, and she met him, and brought gifts, and all this stuff. And you can read about that in 1 Kings, like, 9 or 10, I think. Um, when she left, the Bible says, well, first she says, you know, I, you're more impressive, you know, you're twice as impressive as what I was told, right? It, it, you live up to it, and then some. But when she leaves uh, Solomon's company, the Bible says that King Solomon gave to the Queen of Sheba all her desire. Doesn't really tell us what that was. Now, history tells us that she left there pregnant with a son. Um, a son of Solomon. And by the time of Acts 8, nearly half of the population of Ethiopia were practicing sort of a hybrid version of Judaism, right? They were Jews, but they kind of had mixed some things in there. But they did try to follow the law, and they followed some of the festivals and feasts and stuff. It was this, this strange thing. They became known as um, Falashas. It was a name that was given to Ethiopian Jews, over time, they were, especially with the rise of uh, Islam, they were not super popular. And uh, Ethiopia went through, you know, they were a monarchy for a long, long time. Eventually, they go through some revolutions and a couple regime changes. And then back in 1991, as the nation, the government's collapsing again, uh, and there's uh, beginning to be like some religious-fueled violence, and we're worried about a genocide coming. Uh, Israel launched this covert mission called Operation Solomon. So cool. They, they, they took these uh, C-130s and 747s, took all the seats out and stuff, and they, they snuck these planes in, and, and uh, the planes were supposed to hold like 700 people, but because the Ethiopians were so thin, they were, they were able to get like 1,000 onto the planes. And there was one plane in particular that um, when it took off, it had 1,067 people. So they're smuggling these, these falashas out of Ethiopia into Israel. So they took off with 1,067 people, and they landed with 1,122 people. Because there were five babies born on, on the ride, plus there were dozens of kids who hid under their mom's robes. I, I just, it's, such a, it's such a cool story, if, if you ever get the chance to read about it. There's more to it, and... It basically, in 36 hours, uh, they smuggled out 14,325 uh, falashas of the, you know, these Ethiopian Jews. So, theory goes that maybe that was one of the fulfillments, right? That there was, um, you know, they are now part of Israel, and, you know, maybe that was one of the, the gifts that was brought to the Lord. I don't know, but... We'll go back and read it again. Isaiah 18, verse 7. It says, At that time a gift of homage will be brought to the Lord of hosts from a people tall and smooth, even from a people feared far and wide, a powerful and oppressive nation whose land the rivers divide. 
to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts, even Mount Zion. So was this fulfilled with the Ethiopian eunuch? I mean, maybe. He brought offerings to the Lord, sort of. Uh, Was it fulfilled when the gospel spread through Ethiopia and Egypt because of him? I don't know, maybe. I'm not sure how to interpret this verse, you know. I, that's the problem with stuff like this, when someone says, oh, it's absolutely this. And I'm like, you are absolutely full of it, because it's just too hard to pin down. What, what we can do is do our best to see what we can get from it. So uh, here's what I do know, is there is a time when everyone from far and wide, right? Because he talks about this nation that is from far away and, and they're, they uh, are feared far and wide. But there's a time when every person, when every nation from far and wide is going to come and offer their worship to the Lord. In the 86th Psalm, verse 9, it says, All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. So, is America in the Bible? Yeah, right there. With all the nations that are going to come and worship the Lord. So, here's the thing. If you're in a stormy season, uh, God is on his throne, and you know, I'm just going to pray for you that he would uh, not be, that you would not be too proud to call on him. Um, and understand that we don't always have every answer. We don't always have every detail worked out perfectly. But God doesn't call us to understand everything all at once. He says, like, he, like the message he sent to Philip, just take this next step. Just trust me today. And then tomorrow we'll deal with tomorrow. It has enough cares of its own. Let me pray for you. Lord, I just thank you so much that um, even when we come across passages like this that are uh, hard to to wrestle with and, and get clarification from, we know that you want to be known and even even when we're confused there's still uh, there's still truth there that that we can uh, take from it i just pray that we would not be too proud to call on you to lean on you and that our hearts would be softened toward those who hurt us lord we're we're excited to to learn about the time when all the nations are going to come and kneel and worship uh, worship you But we know, Lord, that the sacrifices that you're looking for are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. So, Lord, let us not be too proud. Let our hearts be softened. Let us be more like you. And we pray you come and come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, ready? Break. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.